Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This will be episode number 49. And unlike previous episodes, I'm not going to ask my lovely host how to say this in a different language. But if she would like to volunteer to say it in Swahili, then I would be more than happy to let her do it. Well, I didn't look that up, so you didn't give me any warning. Well, it I seems thought we were like doing you should, Spanish. You should prepare for air. Well, what is it in Spanish? <laughs> I don't know. Or German. I thought you were going to know. I do, but I just ain't going to say it because I feel like um, I'm being shorted here. Okay, we'll make the listeners Google it. Yes, Google it. Find out what 49 is in Spanish. The first person to message our page through our website and let us know how to phonetically pronounce 49 in Espanol, we'll send you some stickers. How's that strike you? Brett will send you some stickers personally. Yeah, I will. I will personally give them to her and say, (laughs) take these to the post office. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to find us online, go to scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can also find us on all social media platforms by looking for the username at Scary Savannah. We've mentioned previously our Patreon page, which is where you can go to get exclusive content and to help support the podcast. And you can find that at patreon.com forward slash Scary Savannah. And we have a new patron this week, Crystal. And who would that be? We do, and her name is Teresa Gress. So thank you, Teresa. Yes, thank you so very much. And I believe we're pronouncing your last name correctly. She's very smart, so she's probably right. I would look up on Google. You and did, and it said grass. It said grass. And it's G-R-E-S-S. So I don't believe it's pronounced grass, but it, if it is, let us know. Comes from the original German. <laughs> Back from... The mother continent. Looks like dress, but instead of a D, it's a G. So wouldn't it be grass? Well, you did teach a bunch of kids how to read and write. So yeah, I but there's always exceptions to these rules. So. so go check that out if you haven't already. It's very easy to sign up and it helps support us on the podcast. And you get extra content. Lots of extra content. We also wanted to give a shout out to one of our favorite listeners, Lorelai Wilson. She's a big fan and helps us out by sharing the podcast with her friends. So thank you so much, Lorelai, for liking the show. If you love the podcast, be like Lorelai and share with your friends and family. Help us get the word out and take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. Or Podchaser. If anyone uses Podchaser, then yes. Uh, Some people do. I use it. You're weird. Occasionally. Okay. I mostly use Overcast. Overcast, and you know it. It's because I bought it. When it was on oh, sale okay. like 10 years ago. And I just, I use it. I use it all the time. It's a great app. I highly recommend it. I also use Overcast because you told me to. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you do it. Also, please go to our website and look for the tab up the top that says merch because I have been going crazy with adding new merchandise to the store. It cannot One, be stopped. Bye. Conventional weapons. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put that on a shirt. But you can see behind Crystal, actually, we got one of the new logos that I made that's uh, on shirts and coffee mugs. And we also have some stuff from our Cryptid series, a couple of different things there. And we have a sale going on this month through October for spooky season with uh, phenomenal savings. Yeah, I'm getting me a Slide Rock Bolter t-shirt. Your favorite Cryptid. It is. Because that's what we talk about on our Patreon is cryptids. Mm -hmm. At least currently, that's what we're talking about. And also, we're running a little low on coffee. So please, if you could support the podcast by buying Crystal a coffee, which you can do by clicking on this little yellow icon 
in the bottom left-hand corner of our website, and you can leave several coffees and help support the podcast because we do appreciate all of our support. And speaking of coffee, do you remember last week when we discovered that Anoka, Minnesota was the Halloween capital of the world? I do vaguely recall that. Well, they also have their own merch, so I ordered an Anoka coffee mug, and here's a picture. You did. I'm going to put it in my rotation of awesome coffee mugs, so help me fill up my new mug. Well, Anoka better get on board with this, then. They better find out about Scary Savannah. Isn't that cute? I'm going to like take a picture and hashtag them. Look how green it is. I know. It's like one of my favorite colors. And also, we just recently got a call from one of our listeners who had listened to the Marshall House episode in it, where you had discussed your experience with the spirit world when you were held down and basically held motionless. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that uh, our listener, and her name is Harley, she left us a message and had a very similar experience at the Marshall House. And she was so moved by your testimony (laughs) that she was going to call and tell us about her experience. So I'm going to go ahead and play that message for you now, she said it's okay to do it. So here we go. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Harley. I live in Dallas, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. I found your podcast just recently. Um, I'm obsessed with Savannah, all the spookiness of it. My husband and I go all the time. But I just finished your episode about the Marshall House, and I just like don't have any words because your experience was so similar to mine, and I just like I have to share it. So this happened in October of last year when we stayed at the Marshall House. We went for our anniversary weekend. And it was this time last year that we went in October. So we went and we were originally supposed to stay on the fourth floor, but I had read a bunch of stuff about the Marshall House where I went and obviously it was all scary things. So I was like, absolutely not. We're not staying on the fourth floor. It's the most haunted floor. So I called the front desk and I asked them, you know, what floor we were on. And they told fourth and I was like, yeah, no, we can't stay on that floor. And they the front desk person just kind of laughed, and she was like, you've heard the stories, huh? And I was like, yes. She's like, okay, I'll put you on the third floor, but, you know, it's pretty haunted, too. And I was like, it's fine. So, anyways, we stayed on the third floor. I don't remember our room number exactly, but so I felt like we were in the depths of the hotel. Our room was right across from the stair access. So that night, we got there, we settled in and stuff. Love the hotel. It was so nice. Marshall House is so, so nice. We left. We went on a haunted pub crawl that night with Ghost City Tour and got back, a little drunk. And as soon as I walked into the into the Marshall House for the night, I just started bawling my eyes out. I was into sobbing because I was so terrified to stay there that night. I don't know what came over me. I mean, I know it probably was a little bit of being drunk, but I just was like crying. My husband I was like, we've got to go home. I can't stay here. I'm terrified. And he was like, you are fine. It's going to be fine. So after I had my little mental breakdown, I separated up real quick and we went up to the room and settled in for the night. Um, my husband and I don't ever sleep with the TV on at night, but we did that night because I was very scared. But I usually have to have it pretty quiet in the room besides our fan. So we had the TV on, and I had him just turn the volume all the way down um, on the remote. The TV wasn't muted. We just had the volume turned all the way down. So there wasn't any sound coming from the TV. At about 3 a.m., like 3.02, I remember looking at the clock, 
I was woken up out of a dead sleep, the loudest noise, and I shot up out of bed, and the TV volume had been turned all the way up as far as it would go, and when I shot up and looked at the TV, but where when you turn up the volume and it shows you how loud it was, it was showing on the screen, and it was all the way turned up, and I freaked out. I woke my husband up. I was like, did you turn the TV up? He was like, no, like I was dead asleep. I fumbled with the remote. The remote was on my bedside table. Fumbled with the remote, turned the TV off, was freaked out the rest of the night in and out of sleep. And then the next night we were there. I don't know if y'all's room had it, but ours had one of those really old like black alarm clocks. It was on my side of the bed. The alarm started blaring at 4.03 a.m. I was like, what the heck? Like, why did that happen? Like, no one set the alarm. Um, it didn't go off the night before. So, yeah, that really freaked me out. We got home, and I swear something followed me home from that hotel. I don't know what it was, but the same experience happened to me where it was the first night we were home. We'd gotten home that night, and I'd gotten into bed, and something, a present, something basically got into my face, and I, I couldn't scream. I couldn't talk. I was crying. I was I was aware of what was going on, but I it was like it was holding me down, and it was in my face, and I could feel it sitting on the side of the bed. Finally, it went away, and I rushed up out of bed and ran into my, where my husband was in the living room, and I was crying, and I was like, someone tried to get me. Something followed us home, and of course, nothing else happened after that, but I swear it came from the Marshall House. Whatever it was, I think it came with me. I haven't experienced anything since, but it was definitely a crazy experience. And I would totally stay there again. I love that place. Definitely had some weird stuff happen. Wanted to share that. Um, and I love your podcast and all the things y'all talk about. I'm so glad I found it. Um, hope you guys have a great day. Yeah, so that's crazy that like the exact same thing happened. Yes, it it is. So it weird. just further validates my experience was not me. Dreaming well, it wasn't you because you have never done anything like that before. I'm not a, I'm not a deep like sleeper before, yeah. even once Mm-mm. in our entire relationship. Have you ever done anything remotely? I don't like even that? ever have bad dreams, really. Like not like that. You never. not definitely not like a night terror of a mm-hmm. bad dream. And also, not only did she leave us a message, but she also emailed me a picture that they took at the Colonial Park Cemetery. And this, if you look at the picture, I'll show you the original picture first. I'm going to post it now. You can sort of see in this picture that there appears to be a small child peering over a gravestone. Now I'm going to zoom in on it, and I'm going to do what? Magnify and enhance. Just like Captain Janeway would have said it. And obviously, in a low-light situation with a phone camera, which is where I assume this came from, not a lot of detail in it. And I can only do so much. But it's super creepy. But it is the most terrifying picture I've ever seen in Savannah that I can recall. And she had this happen, and I just had to share it with everybody. Yeah, a lot of people report seeing a little boy running through that cemetery. So, Oh, yeah. We even talked about that. Mm-hmm. That might be the same yeah. kid. You didn't realize that? It literally just occurred to me. Yeah, like remember the one that ran up the tree? Yeah, flew up the mm-hmm. tree. He didn't run up the tree. He just mm-hmm. flew up into the tree. That was really crazy. Yeah, so thank you for reaching out, Harley. We do appreciate it. And thank you for listening. And if any of our other listeners have any stories they would like to share, you can give us a call. Our phone number, which I haven't mentioned in a long time, is on our website under our contact page. It is 912-406-2899. That's 912-406-2899. It goes right to voicemail. So if you have a message you'd like to leave for us to play on the show, 
Or if you have something you just want to say and you don't necessarily want to play it on the show, then just call us and leave us a message. Or if you have a story idea, let us know because yes. we are making a list of that. We are going to get to it eventually. Definitely. We, we have plenty. It's just We've had time. suggestions yeah. come in from a bunch of listeners and we appreciate all of them and we're compiling We're going to get to it. <laughs> we are going to get to it for sure. So keep those coming in. And if for whatever reason you don't want us to play back anything that you may leave as a message on the air, just tell us on the message and we won't do it. But if you're okay with it, let us know and we will post that on air because it's so interesting. It's so cool that other people are getting terrified and see Savannah is not just me. <laughs> not just me. So Crystal, how have you been doing this week? Fantastic. Perfect. Thank you for watching Scary Savannah. <laughs> Sadly, the pirates have left the island. I think I'm finally finished decorating for spooky season. I don't think I can fit one more pumpkin in this house, but I might try. Well, there are some square foot or square inches on Layla's back. <laughs> Maybe some mobile decorations. We have some bonus episodes coming out this month. We did a ghost and gaming episode where we played a board game dressed as pirates and we talked all things Halloween. Because we love the board games. And Halloween. And the Halloween. That episode should be out now on YouTube, and we're working on a really fun episode where you'll get to show off your baking skills, so that's going to be exciting. It's going to be our version of a very popular show that we won't name for copyright issues. <laughs> yeah, it's a show we like to watch on Netflix, so it's a take on that. When our kids were little, that's when all those cake shows were getting popular on Food Network. Yes. So we got really into making cakes, and I got pretty good at it. But it's been many, many years since I've made one. So no, hopefully clarify. it's like riding a horse. Clarify. Dangerous. You said we. I meant me and the kids, not you. Yes. I was not involved in any way except for eating them. Right. You did like make a mess a few times though. So you've got that. I'm good at that. You have a little bit of secondhand knowledge. So I'm confident that you're going to be able to make a spectacular mess. <laughs> God-given talent. We're also planning to coordinate getting all our kids together with their significant others this weekend. And we're going to the Ali Terror Plantation that we talked about last week. So we'll let you all know the scoop on that and if it's worth going out there. We haven't been there before, but apparently our daughters have a friend, I think, mm -hmm. that has been there. Mm -hmm. And she wants to go. Yeah. So it must be pretty decent. Yeah, so we're going to have a crowd. And it should be fun. So before we get into our topic this week, I saw an interesting news article. It seems they found some bones while doing construction downtown Savannah at the corner of Bull and Broughton. Bones, you're saying? Yeah, so I wonder how old these bones are and who they could be. Maybe it's... Jimmy Hoffa. Pulaski. <laughs> Pulaski. Was that the story I let you read where they're like, we're not actually sure oh, that yeah. Pulaski's buried under the Pulaski Monument? Yeah. Maybe he's buried in this gutter over by... <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if it's shut down construction, because you know that Broughton's been under construction forever. So does that make it a crime scene? That's what I was wondering. It's been turned over to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation which is like the FBI, but Georgia, you know, like GBI. Sort of like they ain't, they ain't feds. Yeah, but it's our close. version. Yeah, it's they our close. version. So, I mean, I guess they're going to do like a DNA analysis or whatever and find out. they got to find out how old they are. So how old do bones have to be before it's no longer considered a criminal case? So if you find bones and they're a year or two old, oh, it's definitely like they got to look into it. But if it's 50 years old. Well, it could still be a case, yeah, because people could be alive. If it's 200 years probably old. Probably not. It's probably like... How do they know? 
how do they know if how old the bones are? How do they know where's that dividing line where they're like, well, this is a criminal matter versus, oh, let's get some historians and archaeologists in there. Well, I guess if they can identify the bones, they'll be able to tell if that person, you know, where, how they died or I don't know. What if they died of old age? And why would they be buried in the street? What if they got stomped on the head by a horse? I don't know. What if they were murdered by a ghost? Exactly. So we got to, we got to look and keep up with this. There are more Questions and answers, and the answers you're giving me are making me have more questions. I know, and the article was like one paragraph. It's like, we found bones, <laughs> that's it. And we turned the water main off again on Broad, and you can't drive down it for the next two years. Something else I read about this week is that Savannah is hosting its third annual Vampire Ball on October 28th, complete with a DJ, drink specials such as Virgin Blood, a candied crucifix, and Nosferatu's Kiss. There'll be photo ops and even a crowning of a vampire king and queen. Well, you know what this makes me think of? You had mentioned this to me the other night. Mm-hmm. And you said, that would be interesting. Go to a vampire ball. And then you said, but what if it's a vampire ball? Yeah. And not a vampire ball. Like, what if they're actually vampires it's like we would and we show, show up? And everyone else is a vampire. Yeah, or the practicing vampire, and we're not. And not the people that say they're vampires and just, oh, I like the taste of blood. And you know those Mm. kind of people, and they, you know, have the fangs installed surgically and stuff. I'm talking about the legit vampires that have no reflection. Yeah. And also superhuman strength. It would be like a perfect cover because people wouldn't think it would be real vampires. You think I could BS them into thinking I was a vampire? No. I'd walk right in and be like, (laughs) they would know you instantly. And they'd be. Exactly. (laughs) So this got me thinking about vampires and their origins. Why are they such a fixture in pop culture? And are they real? What do you think? Do Do you think they're real? Do I think vampires exist? I think that there are a bunch of dark and evil forces in this world. Spiritual forces. I believe in that. So I don't think it stretches the imagination to think that something like this may exist. But I don't think it would exist in the fashion that people think of, like Twilight. Okay, well, according to CBS News, a real vampire skeleton was unearthed in a cemetery in Poland just a couple months ago in August of 2022. Now, if you'd give me three options and you said, (laughs) they unearthed a vampire skeleton, you know, Poland would not have been my third guess, but it would definitely have been a fourth or a fifth. Really? No. I, I would never, never have said Poland. Really? I would have said Transylvania, then well, I would have said Salem, Massachusetts, and then Germany, and then Russia. No, it's Poland. According to an article from CBSNews.com, it was with pure astonishment that researchers discovered the remains of a woman with a sickle around her neck and a triangular-shaped padlock around her foot. The discovery was made in the village of Pien, Poland, why they were digging up the bodies in a cemetery is not stated in the article. So Maybe it was blocking where they are going to put a water main, like on Bull and Broughton. So I'm not sure about that. But it seems the sickle and the padlock are linked to 17th century beliefs that burying someone in this fashion would prevent them from rising from their graves. If they try to sit up, slice, the head comes off. Aha. Uh-huh. So it turns out they outsmarted the undead. Yeah. Don't know the purpose of the padlock, but you can never be too careful when it comes to vampires. Probably a promotional stunt. It seems these anti-vampiric practices were all the rage during the vampire epidemic in the 17th century. Yep, epidemic. They had an epidemic? 
While we were dealing with things like yellow fever over here, it seems that Europe had an outbreak of the undead. Ooh, spooky. In addition to these practices with sickles, sometimes corpses were burned, smashed with stones, or had their heads and legs cut off. They intend to conduct further research on the body, which is said to be wearing a silk headdress, denoting that the woman was high up on the social scale. So she was a rich vampire. Would you say that she might have been a countess? Possibly. She had like silver and gold thread embroidered into her headdress, so. I thought vampires hated silver. That's a myth. This is real vampire. This is a real vampire. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is not the first vampire found in Poland. In 2014, researchers claimed to have discovered six bodies of vampires in a cemetery in northwest Poland. Well, Poland's a happening place for the undead. Mm -hmm. Poland isn't the only place you'll find the remains of vampires, however. In 2004, in Ireland, in an area known as Kiltesh, a group of archaeologists were excavating an area in search of an old palace from the 12th century. But what they found instead was human remains. But were they human? <laughs> Just as you do, we were out there excavating, you know, to try to find that old palace from the 12th century in Ireland. I mean, well, we came across some bones. Yeah, You they come did. across bones when you do this. Underneath the flagstone floor of what was once a building of some sort, they found 30 to 40 skeletons. This sounds like any street in Savannah. Just dig it up. Yeah, and like they were buried so, like they laid the stones right on top of the body. So, like the faces were crushed in and stuff. So, it wasn't like they dug down and buried them. They did mm. this intentionally. The weight of the flagstone had crushed the skulls. Further digging around the area revealed even more bodies. One body they found showed signs that the person had suffered great abuse. I noticed you put person. Yeah, because they, don't, they don't think it's really a person per se. The body had been broken and bent and bound in a way as to prevent it from ever coming back to life. So, like, they have its legs all contorted. Must have been a real big issue back in Ireland, I guess. Yeah. Coming back to life. We'll find out why. I imagine so. Subsequently, two bodies were found with large rocks stuffed into their mouths. Some 100 skeletons were recovered from this site and taken to the lab for further analysis. They discovered cut marks on the bones that came from either knives or spears. The strange measures taken by those that bury these people indicate that they may have feared what these corpses may have become. Similar grave sites have been discovered all over Europe. Bodies with large boulders placed on top of them, some with nails through their shoulders and hearts, bodies with their heads cut off, some with the legs tied together, and even one with a spear impaled through it have all been unearthed over the years. See that, oh, see that picture? That, oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? This is insanity. The assumption as to why all these corpses had been defiled in these various ways is that the living feared that they would not stay dead, and they went to great lengths to ensure that they did not rise out of their graves. The stones in the mouth may have been an attempt to prevent the soul from re-entering the body after death. The Roman Catholic Church taught that when the spirit left the body, it went to purgatory, and if it were a bad spirit, it would be tortured. And if it were to escape purgatory, it may try to come back and re-enter the body and roam the earth. I don't remember that in the Bible. It's Catholic. Burials like these are referred to as deviant burials. Christian burials are oriented east to west so that at the end of time, when the bodies were to rise from the dead, they would all be facing the sun. These bodies were not given that type of burial, which is highly unusual or deviant. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. And we're the hosts of the Madam's Podcast, where it's all about movies, minus the mansplaining. Every week, we discuss a film that fits into a quirky theme for the month. 
And there's plenty of bonus content on our Patreon feed too. So if you're looking for commentary that'll make you laugh and think, you found your new favorite show. New episodes of The Madams drop on Mondays wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Madams Pod or on our website, themadamspod.com. There are countless tales of the undead throughout history. An early account of a so-called vampire takes place in Stapen Hill, England in 1085. The story goes that there were two peasants who came to town. They died quite suddenly and were buried in the local cemetery. However, the town folks reported seeing the two men appearing in the street at night, sometimes in the form of animals, like how did they know it was these two men? There goes a stray dog. <laughs> it's them. That's Peter. I swear it is. But sometimes they appeared in the form of men carrying coffins on their backs. This was quite terrifying to the people. The term for the people who return from their graves is revenant. These revenants were believed to return to the places they were familiar with and would call to their loved ones and neighbors. If the living responded to them, they would fall ill and die within a few days. So these two revenants were causing much hubbub in the small town. No one wanted to be visited by the undead. So their initial response was to move away. I will close up my haberdashery and just leave town. So the village was nearly deserted, but they decided they wanted to go back. So they got permission from a local bishop to dig up the graves of the two peasants. What they found was that the bodies had not decayed and the cloths covering their faces were covered in blood. This could only mean one thing. Vampires. So they were horrified, and they did the most logical thing. Shot them? No. Did they have guns back then? No. This was pretty early. Not in the 1080s. So let me guess. They cut their heads off, put a stake through their heart. They cut the corpses' heads off, and then cut the bodies open and tossed their hearts in the fire. Yep. Bad I'll do it. Legend has it that two black crows flew out of the smoke and into the sky. How romantic. <laughs> Is it? After they killed the entire town with their hubbub that they generated, you know, by no, calling didn't. out to their loved ones. They just left. In 1732, an Austrian team of military doctors were sent to Serbia to check out a series of mysterious deaths. The villagers said that 17 people had died in a matter of three months. And by the way, they were now vampires. What you gonna do? The doctors were quite skeptical and set out to study the bodies. What they found was that only four of the bodies were decomposing at the proper rate. Some of the bodies still seemed plump and healthy with fresh rather than coagulated blood. Some even had blood around their mouths. Today, we know that gases inside the body can cause these things to occur naturally, but back then, it meant you were definitely a vampire. No questions about it. So, the head doctor sent his report back to the powers that be, and the story went viral, as it were. This tale of vampirism spread throughout Europe. This led to vampire hunts everywhere. Corpses of the recently deceased were dug up and beheaded and usually burned just in case. Sorry, Grandma, but you know what? We can't take no chances. <laughs> in the 1500s, a well-respected man named Canisius was kicked by his horse. He languished in bed for several days complaining of dark visions and claiming he felt like he was on fire. Vampire. It is said that a black cat wandered in and jumped on his bed. Vampire. It was commonly believed that if an animal, particularly a cat, jumped over your bed, you would turn into a vampire when you died. He died shortly thereafter. 
He was buried in the church cemetery, but he began visiting other villagers at night with cold breath and a smell so foul it was intolerable. They decided to dig up his body, and what they found was plump skin, and when they cut open his leg, fresh blood flowed out. They concluded the only way to deal with this was to burn the body and smash the bones into little pieces. This took care of Canisius's nightly visits and his bad breath. In 1725, in a small village in Serbia, a man named Peter died. But Peter didn't stay dead. He appeared one night to his son and demanded food. Hey there, Junior. I sure is a little hungry. You know, you got any of them uh, legs and mutton I could, uh, you know, drain the blood out of, as, as it were. Is that a Serbian accent? That's exactly what Serbians sound like. <laughs> the son gave him something to eat. But the next night, when Peter showed up again, his son refused to feed him. Peter bolted, clearly unhappy with this insubordination. The next morning, the other villagers found the son dead. Over the next few days, nine more villagers died. I guess Peter really took his food seriously. The next time, don't you overcook it. I like a little bit of raw little juices. All of these people said they had dreamed about Peter just prior to their deaths. The remaining villagers called in nearby troops who dug up the body of Peter. They found the body perfectly preserved with blood all over his mouth. Mm-mm-mm, that there's vampiric actions. A quick stake to the heart and a burning of the body put an end to Peter's midnight snacking. In the early 19th century in England, a young lady was looking out her bedroom window into the church graveyard. She saw two points of light that made her uneasy. She wasn't sure what she was seeing, but she decided to just go to bed. I don't know what that is. It's time to hit sack. She awoke to see a figure of a man coming towards her and recognized those two points of light that she had seen were his eyes. He attacked her and bit at her neck. Her screams awakened her two brothers who beat her door down to save their sister. They saw the shadow of the man disappear out the window and down the street towards the graveyard. They were able to stop the bleeding from their sister's neck and she eventually recovered. The two brothers vowed to take revenge on whatever had attacked their sister. After some time away in Switzerland, the woman and her brothers returned home. The brothers hid in her room as she laid down on her bed. Sure enough, the creature began to creep in the window to finish what he had started. The brothers were ready for him and fired their guns at him, sending him fleeing into the night. They were afraid to risk following him into the graveyard that night, so they waited till morning when they gathered the other villagers in search of this monster. They searched the graveyard but found nothing. Then they noticed the door to the mausoleum was open slightly. Upon entering, they discovered all the coffins were tossed about and the bodies appeared to have been attacked. All of the coffins, except for one, standing alone in the corner. The brothers pried open the lid and what they found was a body that appeared lifeless, except for a fresh pistol wound on its thigh. The villagers drug the coffin and its body into the churchyard and burned it. And there were no more attacks. This next one is pretty famous. I'm sure you're familiar with Elizabeth Bathory. I've heard the name. Elizabeth was born in 1560. Her family ruled Transylvania. She was betrothed to a man when she was around 12 years old. But she had a baby with a man of low social standing when she was around 13. This outraged her betrothed. He reportedly had the man castrated and fed to the dogs. Wow, you don't want to mess around with uh, royalty back then. No. The baby was quietly hidden away from the public, and Elizabeth married her fiancé when she was 14. He was often away doing important things like leading troops into battles, so she took up a little hobby of her own, torturing and killing young girls. 
She started out with peasant girls, but soon took to killing girls who had been sent to her from important families so she could teach them proper etiquette. Instead, she used them for her own pleasure. She believed that drinking and bathing in the blood of young girls would keep her young and beautiful. She would maniac. Yeah. She would stab them, bite them, cut them with scissors. An investigation into her crimes led to her solitary confinement, where she remained for four years until her death. Did they uh, cut off her head and burn her body after she died? No. Well, she's still there then. (laughs) She might be. It's said that as a child, she had multiple seizures, which may have been epilepsy. And at that time, they diagnosed it as falling sickness. And the treatments included rubbing blood of a non-sufferer's on the lips of the epileptic or giving the epileptic a mix of a non-sufferer's blood and a piece of skull as their episode ended. And uh, medicine used to just be completely off the chain, ridiculously out of this world, maniac. So if she was treated this way, I wonder if this could have led to her uh, fascination with blood. Yeah, it could be. These quacks might have been the ones that set off this reign of terror. She has been cited as the world's most prolific female serial killer with some claims of over 600 victims. But likely all these stories about her are made up. You know, political reasons and all that stuff back then. She was probably a powerful woman or something. And you know how they feel about things like that. So we'll never know for sure. But we can't have an episode about vampires without talking about Vlad the Impaler. Although most people believe that Bram Stoker's Dracula is based on Vlad the Impaler, he would have had little knowledge of Vlad. And Vlad wasn't known for drinking blood, just murdering people in horrific ways. That's something I wasn't aware of. And I even read the novel. Stoker barred the name and scraps of miscellaneous information about the history of Wallachia when writing his book about Count Dracula. Vlad was born in Wallachia, which is in modern-day Romania, between 1428 and 1431. He was the third Vlad born in the house of Draculis. Sounds familiar to me. His father was Vlad Dracul, which meant Vlad the Dragon. I'm getting very Game of Thrones vibes here. He might even be in this new series. He might be. When Vlad was born, there were two families vying for power of Wallachia, his own house of Draculist and the house of Danest. House of Dynasty. <laughs> no, read it like it's written. You don't pronounce the I. Both of these families had descended from the house of Basarab, which had founded Wallachia. So both houses technically had a claim to the throne. In order to take power over his rival, Dan III, he would need a ruthless reputation. He had beef with the Saxons who moved into the territory. So in response, he burnt villages and impaled prisoners on stakes. Hence the name Vlad the Impaler. Other methods of fear used by Vlad were hacking people to death and even boiling them alive in huge cauldrons. It's said that he liked to dine amongst those he had impaled. That's very disturbing. Yeah, so we'd like have his tables set up in the middle and have people all around. When he finally captured his enemy, Dan III, he had him dig his own grave while a priest read him his last rites. Then Dan was decapitated and buried. Well, at least he gave him the service of having a priest there. With Dan III out of the way, a new enemy emerged. This was the Ottoman Empire. The leader of the Ottomans demanded his immediate surrender of Wallachia, But Vlad wasn't going out like that. When 60,000 Ottomans were dispatched to deal with Vlad, he arranged a night attack on a camp of 5,000 other men, along with another 15,000 prisoners, essentially putting them all on spikes. 
That's a lot of spikes. That's a lot of people on spikes. 20,000 people. When the reinforcements showed up, they were appalled and their leader ordered them to withdraw. They just weren't used to such savagery, even like they were in battle all the time, but nothing like that. Well, there's sort of a code. Most people, even in war, don't do these war crimes Mm -hmm. on people, which is what this sounds like it amounts to. Vlad continued his bloody rule until his death in 1477 when he died defending his country against the Ottomans. So the idea of these undead creatures date back centuries. Remember those bodies with the stones in their mouths? Very disturbing. How could I forget? Well, they carbon dated them and they traced back to the 8th century. What is that in uh, English? 700s. Okay. But we don't really have a clear picture of what to look for to spot a vampire. So the teeth don't give it away? No. The teeth don't? Their teeth is didn't that made change. Up too? Yeah, their yeah. teeth were still teeth. We need a composite. We need Bram Stoker. In 1897, he gives us the modern-day vampire as we know it. He drew upon the superstitions and panic surrounding the undead and gave us the novel Dracula. Whenever someone mentions vampires, I think most people think of Count Dracula. The novel portrays the Count as a sophisticated, sensual being with a strong hatred for garlic, sunlight, and crucifixes. See, this is where your garlic comes in. Garlic. It was created by Bram Stoker. He also possesses the ability to turn into a bat. You know, I've heard before that the reason they say vampires don't like garlic is because of its amazing healing qualities. Maybe. Yeah, I'm sure they were using garlic in a lot of old folklore tells different remedies to get rid of them. That and salt. If uh, cutting them into pieces and burning their body didn't work, just sprinkle some garlic and oregano on them. Put them in a stew pot. Mm -hmm. In 1922, a studio took the story of Dracula and made the film Nosferatu without getting the copyright to do so. The the studio was sued into bankruptcy. I didn't know Nosferatu was copyrighted. No, they copied the story of Dracula and made Nosferatu the movie. And they, it was clearly plagiarized. I had never seen Nosferatu, I but neither. it's very scary looking. It was too similar, so they were sued. Bram Stoker's widow gave the rights to a family friend who produced a Broadway rendition starring Bela Lugosi, who went on to play Dracula in the 1931 film version by Universal. This is where we get all the characteristics we associate with Count Dracula. The cape, the slick-backed hair, the accent, the unibrow, the romanticism of a monster— The success of Dracula spawned countless novels, short stories, plays, and movies, all morphing into what we know today as vampires. Sometimes they are ugly, ruthless bloodsuckers, sometimes sophisticated, charming bloodsuckers, and sometimes they even sparkle. While sucking blood. (laughs) We all know that the vampires in these novels and films are fictitious, but as we've heard, the idea of vampires is inspired from folklore all around the world. So, are vampires in some form real beings? What do you think? I said earlier that I believe in dark forces and spiritual things in this world, and I believe Did you that believe these people were justified in digging them up and cutting their heads off? No. I, I don't <laughs> Well, what would you that. do if they came to you in the middle of the night then? And I was dead. No, 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 no. Or if a vampire came to me, yeah, if or a, if the people came to me and if said, whatever there's a those vampire, things, we have to go burn yeah, it. Yes. Which one of these three are we talking about? If you got a knock on your door and it was someone that had recently died. First thing you do is you don't invite them in. <laughs> that might also be a myth, but that's really my only defense at this point. If somebody came to the door that I knew was dead, yeah, I'd probably be pretty scared. So would you think the remedy would be to burn their body? It would be to slam the door closed 
and call the authorities. But if you don't get rid of them, then you die in the next few days, according to their beliefs. So. Ooh, but I don't hold those beliefs. Yeah, but you would if you lived in a remote village in Romania or Poland or Serbia or any of these places. Why do you think that that would change anything for me? I'm still slamming the door in their face and calling the authorities, except instead of using a cell phone, I'm screaming out the window. Yeah, the authorities are not going to help you. He's a vampire out here. So these tales of creatures like vampires are all over the world, not just in Europe. In Africa, you can hear tales of the Adzi. This is a vampire that can take on the form of a firefly. A firefly may not invoke fear in a lot of people, but the vamp isn't one to be taken for granted. If caught, this being may revert to a quasi-human form, that of a human form figure with a hunchback, sharp talons, and jet black skin. It was in this form that it was most dangerous, for then it could kill its victims, drink their blood, and eat their heart and liver. It is said that children are the Adzi's favorite food. That message is approved by the grandmothers of the Yui people. Another one you can find in Africa is the Tikoloshi. This creature looks like a freakish baboon and can be found in the southernmost parts of the African plains. The Tikoloshi is a kind of psychic vampire that doesn't feed upon blood, but instead on the energy of its victims. So that's like the energy vampire from that show we watch. Oh, yeah, like Colin. Colin Robinson. Colin, the energy vampire yeah. who just sits around in the office because he doesn't drink blood. He lives off the life force of people. And the thing he likes to do is to call, cause people pain and drain their energy. So he takes on the form of a middle-aged guy working in an office. <laughs> yeah. And he just goes in the office and just starts all kinds of like mind-numbing stuff that yeah. happen. And it's like he sits there <laughs> sucking in everybody's energy as they all die from boredom at work. Yeah, it was what we do in the shadows. Also in Africa, you'll find the Ramanga. And this is a strange kind of living vampire in Madagascar. It's a person that performs disgusting services for the chiefs of the tribe. Whenever a person of high standing had his or her nails clipped or endured a medical treatment in which blood was spilled, the Ramanga was expected to eat the nail clippings and drink the blood. That's got to be the worst job ever. <laughs> like, how do you get that job? If there wasn't a Ramanga nearby at the time, the clippings and blood were carefully preserved until the return. Didn't it get paid well? I doubt it. Somebody go get me a Ramanga. My toenails is long. <laughs> Can you imagine cutting Layla's toenails for that? Oh, my goodness. It would kill the Ramanga. <laughs> in Australia, in their Aboriginal cultures, there existed the Yaramiyahu. It's a vampire-like creature, and it was described as a little red man that was approximately four feet tall with an exceptionally large head and mouth. It had no teeth and simply swallowed its food whole. Its most distinguishing features, however, were its hands and feet. The tips of the fingers and toes were shaped like the suckers of an octopus. wonder what they would do with those. Well, these Yaramayahus live in the tops of wild fig trees. It did not hunt for food, but waited until unsuspecting victims sought shelter in the tree and then dropped on them. I could die. With their little suckers. In South America, you can find the Aceman. During the day, this uh, creature will appear as a normal old man or old woman. But at night, the creature is generally believed to enter houses. It's like a bat that so flies through the air. So this one's more like an actual vampire that I would understand. Mm -hmm. It goes in and sucks as much blood as it could from its victims, leading to unresolved cases of murder in the mortal community by the break of daylight. It also has the 
peculiar capability to take off its skin and become a blue ball of light. <laughs> For some Hold reason. On a second, boys. <laughs> Check this out. So if you're suspected of being one of these, um, they would, uh, yes, they would perform an excruciating technique of ripping off your skin. Oh, I would just tell them. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm an excre- I'm, uh, what am I called? An aceman. I'm an aceman. I'll, I'll tell you right now. You so the skin, skin was then shrunk with salt and pepper so the vampire could not wear the skin again. Reasonable. Mm-hmm. So as you can see... You can find these types of uh, legends all over the world, not just Europe. It's everywhere. They had some, even their, you know, quasi-scientific medical practices were crazy. Of course, that's probably not even much further off from the truth of real procedures they probably did at some point. Yeah. Just sprinkle a little salt and pepper <laughs> on there, stretch it out, dry it in the sun, stick it right back on the victim's body. Although modern science can explain most of the symptoms that people classified as vampirism in the old days— This belief is still strong in some parts of the world. In Poland. In a Romanian village in 2004, a man named Petra Toma had recently passed away. He was believed to have been turned into a moroi. And this is a Romanian word for the undead. That's not as cool as revenant. Revenant. Well, they also have the strigoi in... uh, That's German, isn't it? No. That. That's uh, it's Romanian. It's Romanian, but that's from that TV show we watched. It is. The, the Strain. The Strain. Well, it's not from that. I'm sure it preceded that, oh, yeah. but they used that term. It's a derivative of something. Yeah, derivative. It's all derivative. So Petra's niece claimed that he was coming to her at night, haunting her, and she feared she would die. So she convinced her husband and some other men in the village to go to the cemetery and dig up her uncle's body to confirm her suspicions. When the men began to dig, the ground was frozen and sparks came off their pickaxes. The body was also frozen, but there was a line of fresh blood dripping from the mouth down to his ear. Sounds sketchy. They cut the body open and claimed that the corpse moaned loudly. This is probably just gas escaping, but that's not what they claim. They said he groaned. Mm. They removed the heart and placed it on a pitchfork because he said you don't want to touch it. I watched an interview of the guys that actually did this. Do not touch. Then they placed it into the fire. The heart made a crackling sound, which I assume probably because it was frozen. No, (laughs) it was definitely possessed by dark forces. The villagers believe that all this was necessary to prevent Petra from continuing to roam the earth. So clearly, the belief in the undead is still alive in many parts of the world. Remote villages are careful to bury their loved ones, taking special precautions to prevent them from returning. Because you don't want to see those in-laws again. I mean, come on. Well, actually, people write out exactly what they want done with their body because they're afraid that they're going to come back. So they'll like, do this, this, and this. They want it like completely... like. Like they want to be bound or uh, different things. Stick some garlic in your mouth. Yes. Or like two or three hundred pounds. They perform worth of rocks. rituals uh, with prayers and chants, and they bring all kinds of flowers and different kinds of herbs, and they put uh, food out so that the loved ones don't have to get up and go hunting for put food. A sickle over your neck, <laughs> yeah. in case you lean up. So these things continue to this day. So for some people, this legend of the vampire is as real as Bella Lugosi's unibrow. Mm. So that's going to bring us to the portion of the show where... What? <laughs> you did it again. So let's try this one more time, except this time say it right. Insert graphic here. Adequate what, what we're, we're watching. watching. 
So this week we watched the 1985 teen horror comedy movie Once Bitten, starring a very young Jim Carrey. And the plot is as follows. There's a there was a plot. There was. Being a 400-year-old vampire, the Countess, though immortal, is required to drink the blood of a young male virgin three times by Halloween each year to keep her immortality and youthful appearance. She finds this task increasingly and extremely hard, since attractive young male virgins are almost impossible to find in the 1980s, particularly in hedonistic cities, in this case, Los Angeles, California. Lucky for the Countess, she finds Mark Kendall, played by Jim Carrey, who is apparently the only virgin left in L.A. She is able to trick him into his first two feedings, but his girlfriend sets out to thwart the third and final feeding. This movie is highly nostalgic. It has all the 80s tropes you can think of. I watched it as a kid, so I'd forgotten most of it, so it was fun to rediscover it. So, Brett, after watching this movie, what is your rating on our arbitrarily chosen scale of 1 to 12 dog treats? My rating of this movie, I'm thinking I'm going to give it maybe an 8 out of 12. And the reason for this is, yes, it did have Jim Carrey in it, and he was funny, but this is very early Jim Carrey before he became the -the over-the-top maniac that most people realize him as. I thought he was funny, but he's he plays it kind of straight, except for in a few spots. Uh, it's an 80s movie, so it's extremely cheesy, which is cool because I like cheesy stuff. But it did have the cool 80s music. And by cool, I mean it was not very cool, but you seem to know the words to it. You were singing along to one of those songs. I don't know if it was just because it was catchy in the chorus or what. I just remembered it. Like it never left my brain. It's weird in the fact that I don't think a single person died in this movie, monster or human or otherwise. I was like trying to remember back. It's like literally nothing died in the entire movie, Mm-mm. which I wouldn't expect from a vampire movie. But it's it's more of a dark comedy. I will say that I give it an eight because there's a scene in it where this countess just punches a woman, an old lady in a mall into some clothing <laughs> racks. And then she punches a nun into a wall, and I'm like, you know, this is, you know, this is entertainment. So it's eight, <laughs> out, quite of, entertaining. eight out of 12 for me. I give it a nine out of 12 for the cheesiness and the 80s fashion and the soundtrack. And Jim Carrey was funny. And it had a great runtime, hour and 33 minutes. Even with commercials. Yeah, even with the commercials. Because we watched it on YouTube, I think. Yeah. So if you like 80s cheesy movies and Jim Carrey, you'll like Once Bitten. That will bring us to the portion of our episode that we like to call Layla, Layla and, and Coffee Talk. Layla and Coffee have been on a homemade dog food diet for a while now, and it looks like Layla may finally be losing a little bit of weight. Yeah, you can kind of see like bones protruding a little bit on their sides. Well, you know, there are bones on her body instead of just <laughs> sausage girth. Yeah. And we saw a picture of her the other day, and she looks a good bit smaller. hmm However, she's still quite a big scaredy cat. Yeah. Last night on our walk, where we are forced to take our dog on a walk every night because they're spoiled now and won't let us get away with it. Yeah. It was uh, extremely windy, and I had Layla. And we were walking near the end of the street, and there was a dumpster sitting in front of a house and had a tarp over it. And the wind was blowing like 15, 16 miles an hour that day. The wind caught that tarp. I mean, it flapped really hard, which terrified me and Layla both. We both jumped. Yeah. Like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. We both jumped. I'm like, what in the world? Like, zoinks. 
and um, Coffee was over there sniffing statues across the road, so she didn't notice it happening, but... There was also a random napkin floating out of the uh, carport of one of the condos. They were convinced it was a monster. Yeah, we thought it was some sort of animal scurrying. They both tried to run over to it and attack it, but did not happen. So hopefully we won't have as uh, exciting a night tonight since it's not windy. There might be good dogs for change, but I doubt it. We might encounter some other dogs or something, though. That's always fun. Especially have pocket to, dogs. Yeah, when they have to, uh, we have to avoid other dogs. Coffee gets so excited. There's about 500 pounds between the two of them, and they're scared of dogs that could fit in a purse. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to find us online, you can go to scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms at the user at Scary Savannah. Please go check out our merch store. We have all kinds of new designs and there's a sale going on through october if you go to our website and click on the tab that says merch it will take you there and check that out some of our new logos are on uh, various items we have there and it's really cool stuff we got a few new shirts coming in we got this new logo like on the tv back behind crystal among other things relating to our cryptids episode don't forget about our monthly merchandise giveaway we have that every month all you have to do is go to our website click on the tab for giveaways and Enter the easy information. You only have to do this once a month, and you can win your choice of a t-shirt or a coffee mug, which we draw on the first episode of the month, which will be in November. You can also find exclusive episodes on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash scary savannah. For as little as $3 a month, you can get exclusive content and help support the podcast, which would be greatly appreciated. We're currently talking about cryptids right now. And you can get some sample episodes of that actually in our main feed. That's what we list as bonus episodes in the cryptids category. And please also help support the podcast by purchasing my lovely host a caffeinated beverage of coffee. And you can do that by filling up our coffee cup, going to our website and clicking on the little yellow icon in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, which will allow you to leave her between one five, ten, something like that, coffees, and any of that that you can do helps support the show and helps us to continue to create new content for you. So I guess that just leaves us with that one last thing. Join us next time in Savannah where the ghosts and the good times live on. But do you know who don't? Hopefully Vlad the Impaler. Was definitely Dan number three. (laughs) Dan number three. Dan the third. Danny, Danny three dig his own grave and buried himself in it. Man, that would have sucked. Yeah, that would have.